Afternoon, Jack. Morning, Zach. How you doing? Doing well. Finishing up uh, my vision boards, so that feels real nice. How's uh, how's the yoga class? It was challenging, but my chaturanga form is better than ever, although my ability to do chaturangas is worse than ever, at least for <laughs> right now. But that's not very important. What is important is our fantastic guest today. Zach, why don't you give him a proper introduction? So today we have the founder and managing partner of Flight VC, as well as the co-founder of Crypto Oracle and Crypto Commons. I met Lou in New York a couple months ago, and we really hit it off. And his partner James is a great guy, and really happy to have connected with this other, you know, fun co-working space and incubator. So, Lou, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks a lot, Zach. Thanks a lot, Jack. Happy to be here. And while I was uh, with Flight Ventures, I'm now 100% with Crypto Oracle. Okay. Congrats. Great. So tell us a little bit more about Crypto Oracle. Sure. So we are a community-first crypto VC accelerator and incubator, and we really focus on community. We really think that the biggest difference between crypto and everything that came before crypto is community and the impact that community can have on the success and or, or, or failure of projects. So we have 12 different initiatives uh, underway to drive community, the most successful date of which is Crypto Monday, which is a, a meetup we started in New York in January that's now in 35 cities in 17 countries. So we're excited about that. On the on the VC side, you know, all we do is invest in crypto companies. We're indifferent between you know, equity or tokens. We're accelerating three companies and, and incubating two. The, the most successful companies we're incubating is Crypto Commons, which is a crypto shared workspace. Uh, we have 11,000 square feet on 39th Street in New York, and we're going to be opening up uh, the second Crypto Commons in Berlin next month. Exciting stuff. So, Lou, when we initially connected at uh, Crypto Commons, near 11,000 square feet office with the amazing view. We talked a lot about how we think about investing strategy, both generally as well as how it relates to crypto. So I guess my question for you is, what are some of your most contrarian views uh, on investing? Most contrarian views? You know, it's, it's, it's funny in that, you know, VC venture capital is one of those things that people do for a living that they really didn't go to school for, right? There's no degree in venture capital. So I really think that, that VCs kind of all do what they do for very random reasons based on their own life experience, which I think for the most part, uh, you know, when you go and talk to a lot of VCs, a lot of VCs will talk about pattern recognition and you've got to be a VC for five years or, or 10 years such that you've seen enough different patterns or have been around long enough to actually recognize patterns. And I think, you know, one of my contrarian opinions is, is that uh, even after five or 10 years, I don't think you've actually been around or, or, or have seen a significant number of events to actually have seen real patterns. I think that you can infer patterns uh, based on, on what you've seen. You know, and it's actually there's a, there, there's a great book written by Mike Lewis called The Undoing Project which is the follow-up to Moneyball, Moneyball being a book about why data is better than humans. And this book is about uh, the follow-up to that, which is why humans suck so much at understanding the world. And one of the primary ways that, that humans suck 
is we take very small samples and we infer great things from that very small sample that quite often turn out not to be true. So in such a young space as crypto, where there's almost no such thing as a significant sample, how do you approach these uncertain waters in terms of evaluating various ventures? Sure. Look, I, I, I think it's, it's very hard. Uh, we are taking a, a very macro bet that, that crypto as an asset class, you know, similar to, you know, the internet in 93, 94, when it was just beginning, that this is going to be, you know, that more wealth is going to be created in the next 20 years uh, via crypto than was created in the internet over the last 20 years. And now the question, obviously, though, is, okay, well, who's going to capture that, that value? You know, and, and it's quite possible that the majority of that value is going to be captured by FAMGA, which is the acronym I use for Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, Google, and Amazon, uh, who've collectively, you know, have captured uh, roughly 64% of all value that the, uh, created over the last five years by the top 100 tech companies in the U.S. So, you know, obviously these five guys dominate, and you know, I think they're, you know, potentially well positioned to continue that domination in crypto. And again, you know, the, the, I think the main way that crypto can potentially broadly beat FAMGA is by leveraging community. And so, you know, community is obviously one of the things that we look at in projects. You know, we look at the team, you know, and again, you know, coming back to team, uh, I think team is also one of those things that, you know, VCs will tell you how important team is, how important team is. You know, we think, you know, we agree with that, uh, but we actually, you know, don't think that we have, you know, any, you know, necessarily any great insight into evaluating teams. I think every VC has to have uh, some kind of competitive advantage, some kind of competitive insights for reasons for why they're investing. If they're investing for the same reasons that everybody else is, you know, as an asset class, VCs do very poorly. So if you're investing for the same reasons everybody else is, I think collectively you're, you're probably not going to do well. So one of the things that we do on the, you know, and, and we try and be as data-driven as possible. So on the management side, uh, uh, we actually work with a company called Angel, uh, AI Angel. It's Angel uh, with an I in between the A and the N that actually uses machine learning and AI to rate the startup teams and startup teams in, in crypto. So, you know, we're, we're very data focused to the degree that there is data to be had, whether it's public data or, or data that we create ourselves. What do you say to a team that you reject because uh, they were deemed unlikely to succeed by AI or machine learning? Just wondering, <laughs> or do you say anything? Sure. Uh, you know, that's a great question. And quite honestly, that's, that's tough feedback to give. I, I really, you know, think that it's very hard for VCs to know who's going to be successful and, and, and who's not. And, you know, that's one of the things that I stress when, you know, we turn down people is that I really don't think that, you know, we have necessarily tremendous insight to know whether you're going to be, you know, successful or not. So I don't, you know, if, if I'm them, I'm not taking it as a signal that I'm not a great company. I'm just taking, you know, if I'm them, I'm taking it as a signal that I'm not doing a great job of selling the company. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that outlook. And Look, VCs want to invest in companies, right? Every every meeting that I have, I you know, I'm I'm hoping that these guys blow me away. You know, when when one of the most common things that I do, or or not one of, definitely the most common thing that I do after uh, seeing a startup's presentation 
is, you know, I'll go to their financial projections and I'll go to the out year revenue projection and I'll say, you know, if I'm going to make one, if I would make one change in the deck, I would add a zero to the revenue projection in the out year. <laughs> you know, in the VCs want to invest in big ideas. And uh, uh, we know 100% of the companies will, you know, that we invest in will not make their financial projections. And so at least, you know, don't make a financial projection of $250 million in your fifth year instead of $25 million in your fifth year. So this was always something to me, Lou, that when I was working on my first startup and trying to raise some money, I was always like, why do we need to do these financial projections? Like, it's obviously complete bullshit and everyone knows it. So what's the point of it? And then, you know, I kind of like learned, you know, throughout that process that just the act of making financial projections and modeling tells a lot about how you want to grow the company and how you think about a lot of really important things to having a successful startup. Uh, do you have any thoughts on like a, a really good way to think about projections where you're doing so in a way that is, you know, genuine and one actually believes in without making, you know, predictions without much uh, backing? Sure. And, and I, I completely agree with you. You know, the projections, you know, nobody has any idea what's going to happen, right? The company that, you know, most people end up building is not the company that they set out to build. So, you know, finance projections are obviously, you know, in that context, to some degree, a waste of time. That said, as a VC, the reason that I think it's, it's very important is just to see the thought process of the entrepreneurs about how they're thinking about the business and how they're looking to grow the business. And, and, you know, you know, it, it, it's really an area where you really get to see how thoughtful they are. And so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm less concerned quite honestly, you know, about the number and much more concerned just about how thoughtful they were in, in, in the methodology of how they got to that number. And I would tell you, you know, my, myself as a VC is my third career. My first career was an equity analyst. And so, you know, very used to you know going out and, and doing projections. One of the things, stories that I always tell is, you know, I, I actually wrote the first kind of Wall Street style research report on Facebook in 2010. I published it in March 2010. You know, I had uh, bought some shares in a secondary transactions and just wanted to scream from the mountaintop, hey, world, you know, you have uh, no idea about the juggernaut that Facebook is. I bought the shares at $16 billion in a pretty active secondary market. And I really thought at the time that the shares were worth 50 billion. And I didn't even talk to the company. The company wouldn't talk to me. Obviously, they were private. But I made a, a five-year uh, financial projection and my out-year projection 2014 was uh, off, ended up, and ended up being off by 1% from their actual revenue. Because, you know, I simply said, you know, that they had, you know, they were growing round figures, their uh, uh, percentage of internet total internet time uh, by about 2% a year. And so they had about 10% of it in 2010. I said they'd have 20% in 2014. And the entire internet advertising market was going to be $100 billion, Therefore, they'd get $20 billion. And while incredibly simplistic, again, that ended up being off by, by 1%. So, you know, thoughtful doesn't necessarily mean being complex. It just means being thoughtful. So I'm curious, now that you know, you're evaluating mostly crypto tangential companies or perhaps even crypto assets themselves. Are you looking more for investments involving equity or investments involving tokens? Or are you sort of indifferent and just evaluating each on their own uh, merits? We're indifferent, you know, and, and trying you know, to, to, to value them on the merits. Yeah, obviously, it's, 
very hard to value, or I think actually impossible to value a utility token. I'm not actually sure valuing utility tokens is a is a thing. I think there's been some great work done by Chris Berniski and, and others at kind of theoretical valuation frameworks for utility tokens. But you know, like all economics, it's that's all it is 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 theory. So, you know, on the utility token front, you know, we're looking more at just, you know, do we think that this is a project that is going to have a lot more excitement around it, you know, down the road than it has today. And so that's, you know, that's, that's a kind of a different way of looking at things than I've been a VC for six years, done uh, more than 50 investments. And that's kind of a very different kind of thought process than I had before. But, you know, to a large degree, you know, the, 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 that's how utility tokens trade. And so is that association of future value of the token with, you know, future excitement in the project, is that a byproduct of, you think, just speculation on the token? Or is it an optimism that these ventures that have users will figure out down the road a way to connect the token value with the value generated by the network, even if they haven't figured out how to do so at this moment? Again, I, I think that's a great question. I think, you know, right now, at this stage, you know, you have projects that, and that's why there's so much focus initially on the, on, on the team, um, because that was really one of the only signs you had about how excited people were going to be about the project. As the industry matures and, and actually as you, you know, you have more and more of the projects are actually going to be live. And I think that's going to increasingly happen. I think the idea, I think the days of writing an idea on a napkin and raising $4 billion I think those days are over. <laughs> I think that's, uh, you know, Damn. as, 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 as great a sign of, of the bubble, you know, as there was not that EOS isn't necessarily a great project and won't necessarily turn out to be a great investment, but again, uh, $4 billion for an idea on a napkin is not, I, I don't believe is, is, is a thing outside of bubble periods. <laughs> Well, it turns out to be a good investment, and a good investment are two very different things. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I think here uh, at Ezra, we were we very much like EOS and have invested in I think the most promising DApp work coin. That's our first podcast we did with a founder, first DApp on EOS. But yeah, like you said, it's just the the valuation really does matter, and if you're taking things from the standpoint of a value based investor, which is definitely less common in venture capital and tech. It's just hard to imagine how, you know, basically Dan Larimer, Block One, and an idea on a napkin are worth $4 billion. But so get it, getting back to your point on uh, utility tokens, do you currently hold any utility tokens? And, and if so, can you give an example of like how you thought about the valuation and what made you, you know, what your diligence process specific tokenomics look like for that asset? Sure. I mean, you know, one of the utility token projects that uh, we were very excited about uh, was you now props you know and, and we liked it for multiple reasons it, it had a you know it had a strong team you know it was already kind of a 40 person team you know that had been around and they were taking an existing product uh, that it had you know and it's like six year life more than 40 million users having used it and kind of 10 million uh, unique users uh, in the previous year and they actually already had a, a virtual economy. And I think, you know, that's also really important. You know, f you know, almost everybody is getting involved in a virtual economy uh, for the first time. The number of people with experience in virtual economies is really small. 
and almost all of them are game-based. So if you worked at Zynga, you got a lot of experience with, with virtual economies. You now actually had a, a virtual economy for their use case, which is, you know, and for their product. And now they were just tokenizing, you know, with, with utility tokens, what had been uh, uh, their virtual currency previously. And so, you know, and now that's utility token, it, it, it could be traded. And they created a, a very dynamic ecosystem uh, with their tokens where uh, the audience can buy the tokens. They can give it to the, to the performers. The advertisers can come into the ecosystem, give tokens to the performers for them to, you know, to interact uh, with, with the product. The advertisers give tokens to the audience that they could use to give to the, to the performers. And the performers can actually give tokens to the audience to reward behavior by the audience. Because obviously, the more engaged the audience, the better it is for the performers. So I really thought they had created this, you know, really thoughtful token ecosystem, you know, there, which is currently on hold given all the regulatory un- un- uncertainty you know, around utility tokens, but that's, you know, one of the more exciting token ecosystems that I was looking forward to actually seeing out in the wild. Is it worth uh, getting a little bit of a better understanding for the audience of what you now is doing? Are you alluded to there being an audience and... Oh, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Sure. So it's, it's basically, it's an app where they have live performers and, you know, those performers can be doing a, a comedy routine. They could be singing, they could be playing an instrument, they could be telling stories. And they're doing that to an audience. And that's kind of the you now, you know, that's been the you now product for, for six years. And so, yeah, they were then opening that up into something called Rise, uh, which is a many to many video platform so that other people could come and build new applications on top of Rise, leveraging the, the props is the name of the token using the props uh, token ecosystem. And so, you know, for, for you now, it's a way of them of, of, again, audiences being able to reward performers is kind of the main use case of the token. But, you know, they also have tokens that, uh, you know, as I said, that the performer can give to the audience or advertisers can give to the performers or audience. And it's, and it's all about at the core now, it's all about kind of decentralizing digital media, which is something that's obviously become highly centralized. So how do you think about, you know, a big thing that we, or that Zach and I talk about is companies that are adopting blockchain solutions. I think it's it's hard for blockchain to be competitive uh, with a centralized solution in terms of efficiency, just because the nature of blockchain, you know, involves so much redundancy, uh, and that's how you establish the trust. So... For for something like you know, how do you how do you evaluate the necessity of blockchain and how you know whether blockchain is something that's being used as a vehicle for you know generating hype, raising additional funds versus is this a blockchain product that is really going to capture the value of this technology in a way that puts it above centralized competitors? Sure. That's a great question. You know, you now also, as a high volume platform, you know, actually, you know, has the majority of the transactions uh, occurring off chain. And so that's how you now was addressing, you know, the, the throughput issue that's, you know, obviously a, a, a major issue 
to virtually any blockchain project today. But again, you know, a you know we're incredibly early, and you know we're all you know already seeing lots of of new architectures. I think you know the one we're most excited about being uh, DAGs, direct acyclic graphs. Um, you know, used by projects like uh, uh, IOTA or uh, uh, Hedera Hashgraph that we think, you know, the, you know, I don't know whether it's one year, five years, you know, what the time frame is for, you know, having high volume on-chain solutions, but we think that it's coming. Right. And I'll make it clear to the audience that what I meant wasn't that, I, I definitely think that there is a space, and I'm somewhat optimistic that we'll reach this space, where even basically... Even though a blockchain is sort of inherently less efficient just because of the design, you could get to you know a relative inefficiency that still is sort of indistinguishable for the end user because they don't care if things are operating you know on one millisecond or five milliseconds. So there's definitely a middle ground where it's going to be irrelevant to the end user, and so the added trust layer. Yeah, although is going ten milliseconds, it. I start to get really upset. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, ten no, milliseconds, no, ten right. times. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, I look. I, I think you're right. I don't think that the end user, all the end user cares about, is the experience. And certainly, you know, obviously, you're right too. I, you know, similar to you know, back in the day of the internet, you had all kinds of companies that were just you know changing their name to whatever dot com, and the stocks would immediately double or triple or you know, literally that that was not an uncommon occurrence for a, a, a period of time. And certainly uh, you're seeing the same exact thing here. People are saying, hey, we're doing, you know, going on to the blockchain and, and you know, using that as a, you know, as, as a way to raise money, even if going on the blockchain didn't make any sense. Um, and certainly, you know, as a VC, that's pretty easy to see. You know, I don't think you have to be a genius to, to understand whether this is something that, that, that really needs to be on the blockchain or not. Lou, another question for you is, what do you think some of the most overvalued projects in the space are and why? I appreciate the question. You know, I, I used to be a, uh, a, a Wall Street analyst and, you know, I really enjoyed it. One of the few things I didn't enjoy was the fact that you were kind of forced to, to have sales on a, on a few companies because, you know, nobody likes obviously having a sell on them and investors hate it. When you put a sell on any company, because almost nobody's short stocks, everybody just buys stocks. So you weren't making any friends anytime you put a sell on a on, on a company. And uh, so the great thing now, uh, as a VC, you know, and a vocal VC, that doesn't mean that I actually uh, have to come out and, and hate anything or or even say anything is unvalued. I try not to be a hypester. You know, I, I wrote an article in, in kind of mid June when we were at the kind of height of of the craziness. When Ripple was, I think, the ninth or tenth most valuable company in the United States, and you know, I said, "Hey, you know, I don't think Ripple is the ninth or tenth most valuable company in the United States." And if that's happening, then you know, that's probably a sign that we're in a pretty big bubble. So I, you know, I, I tend to be kind of more macro about things like that, uh, and saying that that from a macro viewpoint, I think the industry is probably ahead of itself. Uh, rather than, you know, talk about kind of individual projects outside of using Ripple as kind of the poster boy at the time of maybe some uh, irrational exuberance. Yeah, that was right around the time I was explaining to a table full of my grandparents and their friends what Bitcoin was. You know, everyone in their, <laughs> their mother and their mother's mother wanted to get in. <laughs> exactly. That, 
that sounds like fun. You know, my 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 experience of the you know of the, of the peak of the hype, I was actually in uh, in Israel and I was uh, meeting a, a guy who runs a great zero knowledge proof company called Kedit, uh, Q E D dash I T. And I was meeting him, and he's all excited. And he asked me, "Do I want to go see his store?" And I had, you know, I had, the way he said it, I was embarrassed to ask what his store was. It was like, you know, everybody knew his store. And, you know, uh, I thought, you know, gee, maybe it's a marijuana store. I didn't, you know, that's, that's the only store that my friends have these days. And so we were walking down the street, and there was literally a line around the block going to his store, which was uh, a Bitcoin ATM <laughs> across the street from the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange. And there were literally like 100 people in line to go. You know, and that was... Uh, yeah, that's when you go, okay, things are pretty crazy. That sounds like an intense line to be standing at. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, people were pissed because you know, they, it was literally, you know, they, 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 it was going up while they were waiting in line. <laughs> <laughs> I, exactly. think I, I, th- I think I probably, I think I probably know the person behind that, that ATM. That sounds like a great story. We'll send this podcast <laughs> to him. So I definitely understand not wanting to, to publicly name things that are overvalued, especially given, you know, your investing strategy doesn't include shorting. Have you and James have ever considered, you know, shorting crypto assets? Was that ever, you know, did, did that conversation ever come up? The funny thing about shorting, there's a great uh, Wall Street tourism that the market can stay irrational longer than you can stay liquid. <laughs> so shorting is, uh, you know, shorting is not for the faint of heart. And, you know, the problem with shorting is you can be right, but if you get the timing wrong, you can be out of business. You know, because when, you know, when you make a bet, you can only lose what you bet, you know, when you go long. But when you go short, you know, you could lose 10 times, you know, theoretically what, what you went short. And, and by the way, you know, the, the, you know I, I've seen some stuff written, you know, in the industry about, you know, shorting being a bad thing for the industry uh, and the ability to short tokens. And I totally disagree with that. I think tokens are a very good thing for the industry, you know, uh, given investors choice, right? You know, the investors should have the choice of going long or going short if they want to. So, you know, we're, we're very much in favor of the ability of investors to go short and think in the long run that, it, that it's the best thing, you know, for the industry to enable that. Yeah, I think the, the Wall Street adage that you referenced is the primary or exclusive reason why we haven't shorted anything yet despite feel, having you know relatively high amounts of confidence in how certain assets, specifically Ether, Ripple, Cardano, are massively overvalued. But it's tough. And you know, I, I also just want to echo your point that it's good for the industry, which is that you know, with, all, with such an incredibly high market value for an asset that just really does so little, like XRP, that's market share that could be going to you know assets that are actually you know worth a lot more in the long term and actively making the world a better place as opposed to serving primarily as bribes to these banking partners. So I'm I'm all for the short and hope uh, we're able to figure out doing it in a way that makes financial sense for us. Cool. Yeah, and you were pressing Lou on naming some assets you felt were overvalued. I think if anyone was paying attention to this interview, <laughs> they already heard their answer to that question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, Lou, what do you feel like some of the biggest things you've learned since going from Wall Street to venture capital to crypto? Since like d- dipping your feet in crypto, both what have you learned and what were some of the like beliefs and thoughts you had that were quickly kind of overturned? 
when I kind of saw the crypto light on, uh, on June 29th of 2017, the main thing I started doing at that time was, was writing. You know, I believe there's a great uh, William Faulkner quote, which is, uh, I don't know what I think of anything until I read what I've written about it. And, you know, to a large degree, that's that that's me as well. So I, I write to learn. You know, I hope when I you know, blog on Medium that other people like it as well. But, you know, I'm, I'm really writing for me so that I can get my thoughts out there. So when I first saw the crypto light, uh, I feverishly wrote as I was learning new things. And then after about three months, uh, I, I wrote a piece that I published in October of 2017. Uh, so it's literally coming up a couple weeks away from the one year anniversary when I published that. Uh, and that's uh, uh, still the most piece, the most read piece that I've ever written. And uh, and my, my first thought, uh, which I still believe to be true, is that nobody knows anything. Is that we're at the very, very beginning of, you know, what I believe is, is you know, the you know going to be the greatest period of disruption and wealth creation the world's ever seen driven by, you know, these technologies. But the only thing, you know, that, that I am certain of is that whatever it's going to be is different than what anybody thinks it's going to be. So I don't know how many people in this space have worn these three very pertinent hats of Wall Street, traditional VC, and now crypto. As many examples of this as you have, but what's something that you know maybe someone with a crypto VC background or someone with a VC and finance background could learn from the other third of your background that would help them see the world in a more accurate way i'm sorry the other third being the wall street or the operator <laughs> wall street so I've been a, I've, but so, maybe there's four sure well no so you know I've, I've been an equity analyst i ran two companies and, and i've been a vc and you know w- one of the things actually that, that that i now believe about crypto is that these technologies you know and and when i use the word crypto you know i'm i'm referring to really kind of four core technologies of, of crypto, which is, you know, blockchain, cryptocurrency, smart contracts, and zero knowledge proof. I think those are the four kind of foundational technologies. And at the end of the day, this, these are, are together in combination are really kind of a new computing platform. And what new computing platforms enable are new ways of uh, new business processes, new ways of doing things you couldn't have done them before. And so kind of the, the, the most interesting of those business processes to date has been decentralization. You can really be decentralized before. And you know, now we have Bitcoin. But when I think of what these technologies, what business processes are actually possible, you know, I, think, I think that actually it's infinite. I, and I really think that crypto, the possibilities are infinite. And that's actually why I think when people actually see crypto, when 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 you know when anybody sees the crypto light, I actually think that that everybody sees something different based upon uh, their own prism through which they see the world, based on their life's experience. And and so the amazing thing is, you know, uh, one of the partners at my firm is uh, is a doctor, and when he saw the crypto light, he saw all these ways, all these massive problems in healthcare. That could now be solved, um, and I, you know, and I think everybody—that's—that's that's, you know—that's very common. People, you know, see things in their lives. You know, the second company that I ran was called Bolt. We were the the largest uh, social network in the world before MySpace. Uh, Bolt peaked at about 23 million kids, and you know, so I learned a tremendous amount about community running Bolt for three years, and so that's why when I saw 
the crypto light, you know, one of the things I saw was, you know, the community and the importance of, of community to this. So, you know, on the finance side of things, you know, I, I think because of that background, I, I think I appreciate the real value of security tokens and that, you know, taking illiquid assets and, and making them liquid in and of itself is, is just massively, massively value add. You know, I, I think that liquid assets are, you know, in 20 or 30 years that will have found that, you know, that, that making an asset liquid increases its value somewhere between 20, 25 percent is my estimate. And that actually might prove to be conservative. Um, but I think that the, the most exciting thing about security tokens is all the innovation around what a security is now that we have all these new tools and all these new business processes possible. You know, and I say to a large degree, like, you know, the security token stuff I'm seeing today reminds me of the beginning of television. You know, the first TV show that was ever shown was the guy uh, sitting at a desk with a microphone on it saying, hey, now we're on television, right? They were just doing radio on television. And that's what security tokens are now. We're just doing the same exact thing that we were doing with shares and and doing with security tokens. Um, But I think, you know, Pretty quickly, you're going to start seeing some really amazing innovation around what a security is. Let's hope there's no large entities that uh, squash that innovation. Mm-hmm. Or more realistically, well, let's let's hope they don't squash it too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, the great thing is, is yeah, I, the, the regulators. You know, I, I say the regulators have two choices: uh, they can roll out the red tape, or they can roll out the red carpet. And they roll out the red tape at their peril because the genie's out of the bottle. So this is happening. And if the U.S. shuts it down, that that means that the talent and the capital will just go someplace else. Anything else you want to you want to hit before we close it off? Did I talk about crypto commons? Yes, you did. Is there somewhere we can follow you? I, I have the links for Medium I mean, and I'll put that in the notes. You know, I mean, one, you know, one of the things, you know, when we think about ourselves, right, you know, we're doing, uh, you know, we're a VC. We're going to tokenize the VC. So we're an incubator, you know, we're going to tokenize crypto commons, right? So, you know, we're going to be eating our own dog food. And, you know, that's what I'm incredibly excited about. Yeah, that's awesome. Exciting. Lou, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, Zach. Thanks for your time. Okay. Bye, guys.